Welcome to episode 11 of the Game Time podcast. Tim's still in Thailand, but Alan came back from, I mean, it's been what, four weeks since you decided to show up on the podcast? And what a pleasure it is to be back. Thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, Tom Coley's back from last week. Tom, you all right? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. How are you both? Yeah, good. Thanks. Good. We're sunning it outside. Absolutely. Alfresco pod. Living the lifestyle. That's great. Um. Right, let's start off this week with Premier League results from over the weekend. And we'll start off back to front. So Liverpool played Crystal Palace last night as we're recording this, Monday night. They won 2-0. Pretty dominant display from Liverpool, though Crystal Palace gave it a good go, didn't they? Yeah, so this this game was playing whilst I was catching a flight back from, um, from Czechoslovakia. But... I did have a look at the highlights and yeah, Liverpool looks solid. Uh, there's been a lot of talk afterwards about how uh, the defence looks a lot better compared to last season. Uh, and yeah, you'd have to agree. I mean, in against Crystal Palace, who have been quite limited at times, and West Ham, who have been shocking all the time. Um, but no, yeah, they look very good. Yeah, I think I'd agree. I think the, uh, maybe the penalty was a bit soft for the, uh, the when Milner scored. Um, but I think Liverpool looked really strong throughout. I felt sorry for Wan-Bissaka because obviously he had such a good start to the season and obviously sent off last night as well. So it's tough for him, but I think Palace didn't really look like they put up much for a fight either. And I think Liverpool, it's going to be between Liverpool and City this season. I think it, these are the type of performances that really put you in good stead toward the, towards the end of the year as well. I mean, a word on Wan-Bissaka. I drafted him into my fantasy team Gutting. this week. And then decided to get sent off and nearly cost me a victory over you, Tom, but I beat you by one point thanks nice. to Sadio Mane's like 94th minute goal. Yeah. No, I mean, we can all, at least Sadio's happy, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> a word for Palace. I mean, do you think they'll continue the sort of form that they were under Roy Hodgson last season or do you think they're going to struggle a bit? I mean, Wilfred Zaha looked a bit isolated last night. I, yeah, I don't think they'll be in trouble, to be honest. Hodgson... This is his sort of level of club, I sort of feel. Um, and I think he knows how to manage clubs of this size with that, in, in that sort of position. Um, I think they could be pretty much a mid-table side, I would say. Uh, yeah, I think they're, they're pretty safe. They, they won't judge their season on results against Liverpool, I'll tell you that. No. Tom? I think they've, had, they've got too good of a squad to really be in trouble. I think Zaha looks, has looked good so far this season and... Him signing a new contract sort of makes it look like he's going to be around for a bit longer as well. So hopefully that for them they'll they'll probably kick on. And they had a really good result against um, Fulham on the first day of the season. Um, yeah. I think if they play more like that against the teams that are around them in the uh, in, in that mid table, I think they'll be fine. But you can't really judge it against a, a dominant Liverpool team. Yeah. I think he's pretty savvy as well, Hodgson. I think he knows how to pick up results in the Premier League. Um, mm. I think that's probably something Wolves and Fulham need to take note of because. They were sensationally good last year at times, but it's not been the best start for either of them. Mm -hmm. And uh, you need to know how to pick up results rather than uh, just play good football. And Hodgson knows how to do that. If we look at the rest of the Sunday results, I mean, I already don't want to say this one. Uh, Brighton beat Manchester United by three goals to two. Are, are we surprised, either of you, just how poor United looked? Or is, is that just a normal thing under Mourinho now? I think they, they they were awful. 
I watched the game and they they were they were truly truly awful. I read somewhere today that people have said this is that was maybe one of the worst performances since since um, Fergie left, and and it it was it was dire at times. Uh, I know last week I said that M- <laughs> Brighton may may struggle because they're relying on guys like Glenn Murray. Glenn Murray ghosted in for the first goal. United looked like they had absolutely nothing about them. Yeah. I, I, I think. Yeah, he's already putting the putting the feelers out for um, blaming it on the players, and the, mm. the comment the comments after the game were atrocious as well. So, I think I think Mourinho's got one eye on the exit door at the moment. Probably hit the nail on the head with is it Mina Raiola as well? Some of the comments he made on Twitter about these Paul's other skulls. Yeah, at the moment, yeah, <laughs> of all the people to go after. Well, I know he's been quite vocal. Some of these results though almost remind me of Arsenal from the last two years, where you see a result and it's. They've lost to Swansea or something like that, and think I, I, I'm not that surprised. And if you look at the stats, and you think Brighton outpassed them, had more possession, had more shots, and all that, and you think again, I'm not that surprised. And that's Manchester United against Brighton. Mm. We, that should be like the best result they've had in years, but it wasn't. You know, it just wasn't surprising enough. And yeah, is it the, se- the second time that the um, Brighton have beaten United in this calendar year as well? So. It's not. It's not exactly like a rare, a rare thing anymore. That is so. a baffling stat. It should be. Yeah, like yeah. The size of the clubs that should not be happening. Odds on Mourinho to be sacked this season or resign, Tom? Uh, for, uh I, I, he, I think he'll go this season. Um, I, I don't think he'll resign because he'll lose his payout um, from the club. So I think he's going to have to get sacked, uh, and I think. He'll do that by just continuously bully, bullying the players, and um, yeah. And when you have results like this, it's pretty easy to fire him. So I think I I, I think it, it's probably going to be if it continues like this, it'll be before Christmas. Yeah, I mean that's probably the right way about it. Just keep losing away games. To yeah, play. <laughs> yeah, exactly, you'll probably yeah. get sacked pretty quickly. Just <laughs> some of the stuff he's coming out with at the moment is so confusing. Mm-hmm. After I think after the Brighton game, he said, "I'm I'm not going to criticise any of my players. I'd never do that." Even though he spent the last year like shitting on Martial <laughs> and Luke Shaw, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. but is that because they're not his um, signings? Yeah, and he can't be blamed. Well, oh, it, if he puts the blame on Luke Shaw and Martial, that's Louis Van Gaal's fault. If he, he puts it on his own signings, then that's players he searched out. Yeah, I mean, but he's, he blames on uh, Bayi and Lindelof, and those uh, are two players that he signed. And they were all they were atrocious yesterday. And he he obviously clearly wanted centre backs in the summer. That was obviously top of his list. And he 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 pretty much said that out loud to, to everyone in the media that that's what they're looking for. And I think the board has probably lost trust with him because why give him fifty million, sixty million to spend on Yerry Mina when you can just get rid of him for ten million pound at Christmas and then you can have a competent manager who seems to actually like the players that play for him. Yeah, yeah, abs- absolutely. And Manu backed him big. The you know, the last two seasons. Mm-hmm. And um, they've got the money there, clearly. Man, you are one of the best money-making engines in football. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They've definitely got it spare. They, they must not trust him. I mean, what's the point of giving Jose Mourinho uh, another £100 million pounds to spend on players that aren't going to be good enough because he's going to leave anyway and the next manager isn't going to want him? I mean, why give a manager hundreds of millions of pounds who wants to offer Marouane Fellaini a 200 grand a week contract. There's clearly something wrong there if that's happening. 
I mean, yeah, yeah. Really, he's, he's turned from like an enigma in the sort of thing that very hard to beat. No one could really get to grips with his tactics to an enigma that he's batshit crazy and comes out with like conspiracy theories every <laughs> every two weeks. He's um, but yeah, he's got to be careful because this might be the last big job, Mourinho. Where 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 does Mourinho go after this? Good shout. Uh, Portugal probably. Yeah. Or MLS and just get paid a what? shit ton of money. Portugal in- international management. Yeah, I think I think the the international job would would probably be there for him because I think if you look at the the caliber of manager that Portugal have had over the last sort of few rotations, mm. I think I think he'd easily get the job. I, I do think there's teams out there like I think Inter still appreciate what he did. I mean, you want, they won the Champions League with him, um, and granted that was at a time when the league was weakened because of. Uh, the, the penalties for teams like Juve, um, but I still think he'd get a job. I, I, he's not going to get. He he wouldn't get a top manager job um, in Spain, and I, I don't think he'd get one in the Premier League either. But yeah, that's what I mean, though. He's, Jose Mourinho has now effectively done his peak. Mm-hmm. He's, he's done Real Madrid and uh, Manchester United, which are arguably the two biggest jobs in world football. It's true, yeah. And he, I think he's got to be careful about burning these bridges and. I, th- I can talk I, the bridges at the moment. <laughs> what I want to know is, um, you, you said the, what the odds on him getting sacked or, or, or resigning. I want to know what the odds are. How soon is he going to shave his head? Because that's the next step. That's the next Mourinho thing to do is, oh, it's, it's all going to shit. I'm going to shave my hair off. <laughs> <laughs> just as much distraction technique as is physically possible. Definitely. Just... Definitely. You're yeah. saying he's going to do a Britney circa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's, yeah, it's definitely. a toxic atmosphere. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> let's move swiftly on (laughs) Uh, toxic atmosphere at Old Trafford maybe not at the Etihad they absolutely bulldozed Huddersfield Town and Sergio Aguero grabbed another hat-trick the man literally is on fire do we think City are going to walk another league title well less so than last year because I think what was the gap to Liverpool 25 points Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm not sure what the gap to Man U was, probably about 17, something yeah, about like that. 15, 16, yeah. Anyway, I think it will be more like a 10-point gap this year. I think uh, Man City might not get the rub of the green so much anymore. Um, there's definitely some weaker teams that have gone down and some tougher teams that have replaced them. But, and yeah, but they're still going to win it though, come on. Their squad is insane. Sané <laughs> isn't even playing. Again, I'm not sure, yeah. Sané's done but yeah they've got just such a depth in their squad um, it's hard to see anyone but City I think the uh, the, the rotation thing for, for Man-, Man City is insane because what they do now is they can rotate you for seasons so they just don't play Sané this year and just play Mares instead it's, it, it's incredible but I saw this, a stat this morning as well it says the first uh, Premier League assist for a Manchester City goalkeeper that long ball from Anderson oh. to, uh, up, up to Aguero was incredible Oh, Who needs man. De Bruyne? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't need him at all. Just king it long, Edison. Anyone can get assists. Just play, don't play keeper. They don't need one. It's uh, six one every game. It'll be fine. On a slightly emotional note, how good is it to see a David Silva back? B him scoring an absolutely exquisite free kick, and uh, C his son Matteo, who was born prematurely in the stands watching. I th- thought that was quite a nice, uh, quite a nice little touch. 
yeah, it was it was really cool. I think that it's another another thing that separates Guardiola from Mourinho, isn't it? Because yeah. the amount of time that uh, Guardiola gave David Silva rightfully off last season because of his premature son, and then you look at Mar- the way Mourinho treated Martial, and he finds him for going to the birth of his child so when he's true. in America. I mean, it's, he's been given an interdisciplinary uh, yes, something yeah. for that, hasn't he? But yeah, yeah he fines. got fined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So unbelievable. I'd... But no, yeah, David Silva. It's yeah, it's good to see not only sort of him coming back, but also him getting the sort of treatment that he deserves from City fans because they are looking at maybe their best player ever there. He's that, and that's the weird thing about City. You know, their legends are playing for them currently. Yeah, yeah. aren't they? And. Uh, yeah, he's arguably one of the best players ever. And um, yeah, they're praising him as they should do. Interesting you mentioned that. Uh, we had a question sent in. Ryan from last week uh, WhatsApped us and said, who do you think the best foreign player is that has ever played in the Premier League? So not UK or Ireland, any foreign player. He went with Sergio Aguero. Who, who did he put? He went Sergio Aguero top, Thierry Henry and then Amir Zaki as his top three. <laughs> So there's a there's a sort of a ballpark of where you're going, Tom. Who would you say is your top foreign player in the Premier League? Um, mine's Ronaldo. I think um, mainly because when I was first properly getting into football, uh, early teens and stuff like that, he was so dominant and so good. And he left the Premier League when he was 24, and I think he he was the best player in the world then, and he got better after he left. Uh, I think. I guess the only the only criticism you'd have compared to maybe people like Aguero is the longevity. He wasn't in the Premier League for 10, 10 years or maybe longer. But I just think that season where he scored was it forty goals in, the, uh, in all competitions. Yeah. Just I don't think I've ever seen a more dominant player. Uh, and you just knew knew he was going to score every week. Fair, Alan. Is, is this top three? At top one, Ryan gave us a top three because I think oh. he wanted to shoehorn Amir. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I had three. I'll give it to you. Right. Go um, for it. We'll go Vidic, Schmeichel, and Omri. In that order? Oh, no particular order. No particular order. Okay, you got, I just feel like defenders are unrepresented in this sort of Fair. thing. Fair! And Vidic was so, so dominant for a, a, a real yeah. long period for Man U. And you just remember games where all you'd hear is, and Vidic heads away. Vidic heads away. He was so, yeah, so unbelievably good. And Schmeichel and Omri don't really need to justify that too, too much. Fair. Nice to see that the two non-United fans have both gone for United players, which is quite nice. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Well, I mean, he's not going to go for Bournemouth players, is he? <laughs> Josh Jermaine. King, Josh King, unbelievable Norwegian talent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, no, that's fair. Um, and thanks for Ryan for sending in that question. If anyone else listening wants to send in any questions, find us on Twitter, email us, tweet in anything you want. We will discuss it. <laughs> right. I mean, so. Quickly back to Sergio Aguero. He scored a hat trick. Do you think if he stays fit, he can finally challenge for that golden boot? Challenge for a golden boot and maybe get into the team of the year for once. When he's playing like this, it's hard to drop him because I think Guardiola, he's obviously singing his praises, but I think the way he plays, everything about Guardiola didn't, he just didn't want to play him, I don't think, last season. But it shows how, you know, the character of him, essentially, and how just how good he is as a player. He shooed himself into the team and possibly he doesn't fit that style of play. Aguero is more direct and possibly selfish in the way Guardiola wants to play. But certainly if he's fit, you'd say, yeah, he's, he's a shoo-in for the golden boot. Because um, despite not playing much, too, too much with his injury record the last couple of years, he's uh, he's always hit 20 goals, hasn't he? Yeah. 
I mean, he's a born goal scorer, isn't he? Mm. Which is frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> Elsewhere on the Sunday, Watford beat Burnley. Really odd scoreline. It was a really close game in the first half and then Watford just ran away with it. Do we think Burnley are going to struggle with balancing Europa League and Premier League? Do you think their squad's got the right depth for it, Tom? Uh, I, th- I think they're, they're not going to get seventh rate this season. Um, and I think maybe that would be quite surprising considering the way they played last year. I thought, I thought they they were well-deserved of their, their league finish last year. Um, I don't know how much uh, focus they're going to put into the Europa League. I think because they've only been in the um, in the qualifying rounds so far, it's, yeah. difficult, it's difficult to gauge how seriously they're going to take it. Um, I, I personally, I think they're... I think they'll be okay anyway. I think there is a risk you just get drawn into it and then you, you just have to think about your priorities a bit. Um, and then you, is there any value really getting second place in a group stage with, and then just get more games towards the end of the season? Um, I, th- I think they'll be okay. I, I think people may have found out Deitch a bit. Um, maybe looking at the way they played, I think, I think Watford were really, really uh, clever in the way that they attacked uh, Bernie's defence and put pressure on the midfielders. Um, but yeah, I, I think it'd be interesting. I think they've had an unlucky game um, on Sunday, but maybe they'd be looking back at that Southampton game, the first game of the season, and maybe they should have got something out of that. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think they'll be in any real trouble in terms of the Premier League. They'll definitely drop down a few places, I think. Um, maybe looking at sub-10th place or there or thereabouts. But the, the way they play, they're so difficult to beat. And the only worry is that you'd almost say they... they probably got lucky at times last season because they only conceded, well, they didn't concede many at all. I, I haven't seen the table from last season, but um, they also scored less than one goal a game, um, which is a pretty shocking record. It must have been one of the lowest in the league. Um, and you just can't keep that up, can you? Um, especially when I, th- I think they've barely got enough senior players to fill the bench at the moment. Um, they, yeah. Jesus. With This is in terms of injuries and other things that yeah. have happened, but... You add that to Europa League campaign, which, you know, as you pointed out, it's quite a lot more games. I think if you go right through the competition, it adds another 20 games or something to the season. Obviously, Burnley might not get to that stage, but it is still a burden playing on a Thursday. Um, yeah, I, it's going to be tough, but they'll, yeah, uh, they're pretty safe. And Sean Dyke's pretty savvy operator. I don't think there'll be any real trouble. And it's nice for them. It's nice for their fans anyway. They haven't been in Europe in 50 odd years. Yeah. So now they got a trip to Aberdeen. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, was, I was just going to add one thing about about the Burnley squad. If you actually look at the, the lineups and, and the substitutes that were there on at the weekend, you do realise how good of a job Sean Dyche is doing because there's mm. players like Aaron Lennon in that team, and um, Eaton obviously is on the bench, but and Joe Hart maybe maybe has had a great a good career, but Ben Mee is outperforming where the, that with the level that they should be performing at, and especially when you compare it to. Like Decore and and Andre Gray and Pereira, who are playing for Watford, like the, the fact that that's a surprising result just sort of shows how far Burnley have come from with the team they've got and and how good of a job Sean Dyche is doing. Yeah, I, I would really be hoping and praying if I was Burnley that no one comes in and tries to get Dyke. Perhaps with the way he plays, he's not that attractive to a bigger club. But I think. You know, Burnley are still a relatively small club. And I hope they're preparing for life after Sean Dice because I think, you know, they could really struggle. Dice to, to Manchester United? <laughs> yeah. Score, I think, more goals, probably. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think, I think um, you'll, you'll, you'll be looking at the Huddersfield manager, I think, if, um, 
I, I think, yeah, he, he's he's much more of an attacking uh, manager, but yeah, yeah, I think he, he he's probably much more suited to a, a top Premier League team than Deutsch's. That's probably a fair shout. I mean, Al mentioned playing on Thursdays. Arsenal lost three two to Chelsea. Pretty good game. I mean, Arsenal could have easily have won that if they'd put away their chances. Do you think they're gonna find this adaptation period to Unai Emery a little bit harder than maybe they first thought? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I think they, they they look so soft defensively still. I mean, it's, it's amazing that how many years that you sort of cry out Ravenga to sign a strong defensive midfielder and and some centre backs, and they still they were playing a, uh, a defensive line on the halfway line. I think for Morata's goal, I mean yeah. from Azpilicueta long ball and he's in. I mean that's crazy defending. Um, I'm not really sure what's going on with Czech and why Leno isn't playing. Do you know anything about that? And, and why he's making Czech players uh, Edison role type, yeah. you know, first attacker when, you know, he's got like, you know, I don't know how to describe his feet, but he hasn't <laughs> got a particularly good touch or pass on him. You, you know, he's a fun, he's a great uh, goalkeeper, isn't he? Yeah. But he's not a, a dynamic ball player. Um, yeah, it's a bit strange about Leno. I thought he would have walked into the team. I thought this was sort of Czech being phased out, but... There must be something happening in training that obviously we can't get to that's making that decision happen. Because How bad is the training if they're making Czech play? (laughs) (laughs) We'll say one thing, though. It's obviously been a tough start for for Arsenal under, you know, Emery's reign. Um, And you could probably say that they could have easily gone into that Chelsea game and got a result. Um, Obviously, after two games, it's looking like Sarri's got two wins, Emery's got two losses, but they weren't overly dissimilar. Um, mm-hmm. Arsenal had, you know, a, a decent period during the game where they, you know, got back at Chelsea. But... Oh. Yeah, I think that's two two teams that are going to struggle to get into the top four. I think. Um, Do you think? I, yeah, I don't think Sarri's looked that convincing. Obviously, the result against Huddersfield, you just maybe have to take as a bit of a an anomaly because of the the, the opposition. But I can't see them beating teams like Tottenham. Um, uh, and I think they'd struggle against a well-organised United if, if Mourinho got, got them got them a team up for it. Oh yeah, looking at the way Arsenal play, that's exactly the sort of team that Mourinho likes to play. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, a bit unorganised. Um, not quite sure of the system, perhaps. But yeah, I, I think you're right. I don't think they're really challenging too hard for uh, top fours. It, having said that, though, it really depends how they go to smaller teams because um, you can get into the Champions League. Honestly, losing against every top team and, you know, picking up results against the little teams. Um, Man U did it all the time under Ferguson. They were not particularly successful in the big, big games, but, you know, you pick up points where you can. Yeah, that's fair. Probably going to be interesting season for Alvaro Morata. We're sort of phased out toward the latter part of last season under Conte. He scored in this one. Do you think now, especially with Batshuayi, he's gone off on loan, do you think he's going to stick with Morata or do you think once Hazard is fully fit, he's just going to phase him out? I think, uh, if you look at the way um, he, Sarri played with Mertens, um, for, for Napoli, yeah. I think Hazard is that perfect replacement player uh, in the Chelsea team. I, I think if Morata needs to take this opportunity to, to just try and get as many goals as he can right now to prove himself so that when... Hazard comes back, at least it's a decision to make rather than just swapping them straight over because he is so, so flaky and intermittent with with how 
strong he plays, I think he needs to get goals and he needs to get them fast because otherwise he's going to spend the rest of the season on the bench. Yeah, this is a huge season for him, isn't it? Because um, and then it very much defines how his Chelsea career is going to go, but also the rest of his career. Because if he doesn't start performing now under you know a very fluent attacking system that Sarri's going to play, then uh, yeah, he might really struggle. I'm, yeah, I'm from what I've seen from Morata uh, in the past year, I'm not particularly, uh, particularly not fan. confident. Well, not not a fan, but uh, I'm not sure if he's going to uh, see the Premier League that well. Never, Fair never enough. scored more than fifteen goals in a league season as well. Uh, I think if you and if you look at the team, teams he's played for, it's uh, he needs to be scoring more than that. Yeah, especially playing in Spain and Italy for the two best yeah. teams, arguably in those countries, should be scoring more. Right on to my favourite game of the weekend, mainly because it involves you two: West Ham versus Bournemouth. <laughs> Alan, obviously, West Ham fan. Tom, you're a Bournemouth fan. Before we talk about this game, I've got a little quiz for both yes, of you. Move yes. on. <laughs> Move on. Right. It's how well do you know <laughs> your, your opposition? Three questions a hit. How well do you know your opposition? But uh, Bour- Bournemouth and Championship, <laughs> aren't I? I'm, not, I'm not too familiar with this club. <laughs> the baggies, aren't they called? <laughs> if, Carry on. Yeah. If you get the question wrong you have the option to answer your own team's question for a point. Okay. Okay, sure. <laughs> right, so first question for Tom on West Ham. Who is West Ham's record signing? Uh, I guess that would be uh, Mr. Hug the Touchline, Felipe Anderson. <laughs> you would be correct. 1-0. Alan, same question for you. Who is Bournemouth's record signing? Some bloke for 50k and a sandwich. I don't know. Um, no, I actually have uh, what uh, Defoe. You've gone Jermaine Defoe? No, that's incorrect. Tom, would you like to for an extra point tell him who the uh record signing for Bournemouth is? I will is? tell you who the record signing for Bournemouth is. It's uh, a Colombian man called Jefferson Loma. He's correct, 25 million pounds. <laughs> 25 million, <laughs> 25 mil. He hasn't played yet for Bournemouth, doesn't need to. <laughs> Two nil, Tom. Tom, your second question: Who was West Ham's first ever foreign manager? The tensions there. First ever foreign manager. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'll go. I, I'm. I'll go. I don't know. I'll go Pellegrini, but it's not. It's gone Pellegrini. That is incorrect. Alan, for a point, would you like to name West Ham's first ever foreign manager? Avram Grant? So close. It's not Avram Grant. It was Gianfranco Zola uh, who was appointed. Oh, yeah. Avram Grant. Please don't throw that stone in my garden. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's run away. Uh, Alan, when he runs back from launching a stone in anger, your second question. <laughs> who is Bournemouth's all-time top scorer? Bournemouth's all-time top scorer. Um, someone with like 10 goals or something I'm not sure um, I can take Harry, Harry Redknapp <laughs> it's not Harry Redknapp uh, Tom for a bonus point who's your all time top scorer for Bournemouth yeah, um, I'll go Brett is it Brett Pittman it is yeah. Brett Pittman do you know how many goals he's got Ooh, 110 100 oh, goals go. what, what a man 
I think Tom looks like he's going to clean sweep this, much like Bournemouth did at the weekend at the London Stadium. Uh, Tom, your last question. Who scored West Ham's winner when they beat Blackpool in the 2011-2012 Championship playoffs? Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> who's, it was against Blackpool. It was West Ham. It was against Blackpool, yes. Oh. This to make it 4-0. Oh, I I'll guess, was it Big Bobby, Bobby Zamora? It was oh. not Big Bobby Zamora. <laughs> Alan, do you... Um, yeah, a man who was as ripped as he was terrible. Uh, Ricardo Vaste. Oh. Ricardo Vaste is the correct answer. 3-1. So, this is just for pride now, really. You can't win, Alan. But Just remember pride. that. You can't win. <laughs> <laughs> who scored the Moral goal? <laughs> who scored the goal? that saved Bournemouth's league status in 2009. They beat Grimsby 2-1. <laughs> this man scored... Tom, would I possibly be right in saying the most important goal in Bournemouth history? I would say so, definitely, yeah. <laughs> Who scored that goal? Oh, uh, I'll give a fuck. Um, <laughs> no, um, I'll... Uh... I've said it twice now, so... Jermaine. <laughs> <laughs> It was, yeah, it was Jermaine. No, it was not Jermaine Defoe. Tom, I'm sure you'll know the answer. For a for a four one win, who was we it? named the stand after him? It's Steve Fletcher. It is Big Steve Fletcher. So that rounds up <laughs> host versus host. A, a solid four one victory for Tom Coley. And Tom, do you want to talk us through the West Ham Bournemouth game? You were there, weren't you? Very unfair, by the way. Might as well have been talking about South Wrexham FC or something. <laughs> I don't have a clue. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, I, I was at the game on, on Saturday. It was, um, yeah, it was, it was a fantastic performance for us. I thought um, we played really well. I actually was surprised when we, when we conceded the penalty. Um, I was disappointed to, be, to go down 1-0 because I thought we played quite relatively well in the first half and I didn't think West Ham had too many opportunities to score. Uh, but Arnautovic obviously did really well and it was a great penalty. Um, but in the second half, I don't know what happened at half time, but West Ham just didn't, there was, they just didn't really perform in the second half. Um, I think Wilshire and Noble in the middle look suspect. And I think as the season goes on, unless you sort of play a defensive midfielder to, to watch the gap between the, the defenders and the midfield, I think a lot of teams are going to find it easy to exploit that area of the pitch. I think there's a fantastic video on, on Wilson's equaliser where you can you watch Mark Noble jogging back as he's tra- tracking the run. I, I, and Mark Noble is a guy I, I actually like as a footballer. I think he's, he's very much, a, well, I don't want to say it, but an Eddie Howe type of player works incredibly hard and is very, very good at, at what he does. But that was just a bit shoddy. And I think Wilshire got caught out quite a few times as well. Yeah, I think he's bought himself time at West Ham, Mark Noble, because he is Mr. West yeah. Ham. He's, he's a local boy. Uh, he gives everything for a club. I think he flatters to see sometimes by looking like he's putting effort in by two-footing people. <laughs> uh, but I'm not sure he's actually of a good enough quality, perhaps, to be our starting centre midfielder, at least. I think, yeah. Um, and and we'll, if you're playing Wilshire, I think you certainly need someone to cover a bit better than Mark Noble's going to be able to do. Our, yeah, our defending was shocking, though. Um, same as it was against Liverpool. I think it's already looking like we might being for a bit of a trouble start because we've got Arsenal next week and despite the fact that they haven't picked up any points I think they'll be looking at the fixture against West Ham as welcome relief um, it's hard to say any differently because we're looking like a bit of a team of individuals 
at the back and at the front. Um, maybe, to, well, we've obviously signed a lot of players and it's not particularly gelling for us at the moment. Uh, but no, we'll still make the Champions League. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny as well because uh, I know you said earlier on that uh, you, you do have to worry about Arsenal because they're good against the shit teams. So uh, that'll be a long weekend next weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there's, there it is. <laughs> Just throwing shade. Wow, I got It's not looking good, is it? Oh, we were so bad. So bad. Uh, there, was, there, there, was a, there was a point in the second half where uh, we were winning 2-1 and you'd started to get the, back into the game and... We just part. We just passed the ball around in our own half. We we maybe did two or three passes over the halfway line and then back again. I think went off. It was like seventeen passes, and and we just weren't pressed at all. And actually, from about the eight, I'm I'm usually incredibly nervous about Bournemouth because we love to concede very very late. But that lo- that yeah. last ten minutes, I was I I knew you weren't going to score because you just there was nothing. There was no pressure. You bought on I think Carlos Sanchez, which. In reality, he should have started and maybe you would have brought on someone more attacking like a Wilshire later on in the game if he needed that goal. Um, but there was nothing about it. And even the defending on the free kick that we scored from, Ogbonna looked so out of place, looked so so weak in the challenge in the air. And Cook sort of easily won the header, which shouldn't have been there for him at all. I just wonder at this point if Pellegrini, I know this is very early, but if he knows or is capable of managing a more underdog team because the last few teams he's managed, I think he was in China for a bit last year, but you know, it's been Man City, Malaga, who spent a lot of money and were in a league where they were competing quite nicely. Um, you know, Real Madrid. West Ham it's gonna be a very different setup for him. And he needs to know how to get us more organised as a first premise. Had the attacking aspect come later, because at the moment it's it's he's putting out quite attacking teams and it's looking like we're not going to be able to defend that well, but oh, so that Bournemouth looked. Uh, Bournemouth played pretty well. You got to, you got to beat what's in front of you, however bad it is. And, uh, <laughs> definitely, definitely did that well. Yeah. Uh, this this pod by the end of the season is just going to be us all shouting at each other at various episodes. I, I, there's just one. There's one other point I wanted to make about about, about Bournemouth, and, and that was if if uh, if if Hazard or Salah or Kane or Messi or Ronaldo had scored Callum Wilson's goal. That that is on repeat for the rest of the week, and he he did mm. so well to score that goal that he he's I, I personally think he looked really bereft of confidence at the end of last season. Couldn't score, missed a penalty last week as well. The way he finished that was was brilliant, and um, I hope I hope he stays fit because I think he's going to be so important for us this year. Is that the sort of Callum Wilson we probably could have seen if it wasn't for that horrific leg injury? Because he was in. Re- did he scored a hat trick against West Ham, didn't he's he? Nineteen percent of his Premier League goals have come against West Ham in August. Oh wow! I don't rate no, him. No, no, like he's, he's no. the opposite of Kane. He's an inverted Kane. He loves August. Oh, uh, you, you absolutely love making the seamless links onto next matches. Yeah. Harry Kane finally scored in August. <laughs> it's fourteen games over a thousand minutes, forty-six shots and a bit before he finally scored in Tottenham's 3-1 win over Fulham. I mean, that's, it's kind of mental to think that one of the Premier League's best strikers, probably the best striker in the Premier League at the moment, had never scored in August. Yeah, I, it was always going to happen though, wasn't it? And I think, but you were worrying for this start of the season because Kane just didn't 
really look at the races too much against Newcastle. Um, bit of ring rust there. But, you know, it, what he does, he doesn't need to play particularly well, Kane, does he? I mean, he didn't play that well at times of the World Cup and still came away with a golden boot. Um, he's there in the right places. And, yeah, it was, it was always going to happen eventually, wasn't it? Yeah, I think they, they looked really confident as well. I think um, he, he had his chance, I think, a couple of times to score. Uh, he hit the bar, I think, as well. Um, yeah. Who needs who needs new signings anyway? Know, exactly. Yeah, and Luke and it's the it's the old uh, Wenger quote, isn't it? When you got players like Mora coming into the team, and he looks like a new signing at the moment. Like he he was he wasn't great since yeah. January, but he's he's been really good since he's come in uh, after the summer. Yeah, and he's filling that sort of deputising for Son incredibly well, mm-hmm. um, and you know he might even stake his place in the first team when Son comes back with with or without his Asia Games trophy. But no, they're, they're looking pretty comfortable. Pochettino, life, life's good, isn't it? Two wins from two. Yeah. And he's not making any excuses, is he? No. New stadium, no signings. Stadium's also not ready. But Pochettino, he is good. I do like the fact he's just getting on with his job. He's not criticising anything. And obviously, it's very easy to do that when you've won two games. But no. Who's, yeah, well. Whose was a better free kick, Silvers or Trippiers? Oh... Oh, that's a good shout. Uh, Trippier's was probably unsavable. I'm not sure if Silva... Did he go to the left slightly, the goalkeeper? I, I'm Tricky. Gonna, I'm yeah. going to go Trippier. Yeah, so I, so I agree only because like, when you when a free kick is powered in like Trippier hit it, yeah. it, it looks fantastic. But uh, I think technically Silva's was very good as well. That both both solid free kicks. Uh, Mitrovic scored one of the probably most comical goals of the season so far. Ball whipped in. He, he sort of stretched for it, missed it. It goes straight across goal. Sessegnon looks like he has a tap in. Absolutely fucks it <laughs> off his shin, back across goal. It just hits Mitrovic in the head on the floor and then just goes into the top corner. Probably one of the more comical goals. But seeing as we were talking about Harry Kane and his massive goal drought, got another competition for you. Because, I mean, I had time on my hands today, so I thought I'd go for it. Can you put these in order? So I'll ask you both and then give you both a go. Which is the longest drought out of these three things? So you've got Crystal Palace never having won a trophy, the Chicago Cubs winning a World Series, or the Dust Bowl droughts during the 1930s in America. Which one of those is the longest? What order would you put them in? We'll start with you, Tom. So you've got droughts in America, (laughs) Chicago Cubs winning a World Series, or Crystal Palace winning a trophy. Um, so I know, I think the Cubs is like 80 something years or something like that. So I, I think that that's the longest. Then, okay, the, so Cubs then I'll go Palace and then I'll go the drought. So you've gone Cubs, Palace, drought, Alan? Uh, I'm going to go with, the, I don't know anything about the Dust Bowl, <laughs> uh, but Palace, probably the longest. Um, they're a club that's been around a while. Uh, I can't recall. I recall them going to a few finals, but that's about it. Uh, so we'll go then the longest. Uh, the Cubs, yes, I think it's about 85 years or something. Um, and then we'll go with the Dust Bowl thing. So I can tell you one of you has got it bang on. And, and it's it's the man that's in front of me running off celebrating. <laughs> <laughs> it's Yeah, Crystal Palace have never oh, won back. a trophy. They were founded in 1905. That mm. means they've gone 113 years if my uh, calculations are correct, 113 years without winning a trophy. 
the Chicago Cubs are second, a lot longer than you both thought, 108 years since they won the World Series. And then the Dust Bowl drought in America lasted roughly two decades, so only about 20 years. So there you go. What were they they moaning about, really? Claws back back some respect for West Ham, if (laughs) if that's possible. (laughs) (laughs) A word on Tottenham to end it. Do we think they're going to be there or thereabouts at the end of the season along with Liverpool and City or do you think they don't have quite enough to go the whole hog? I don't know. I think it'll be the same potential as last season. They'll fall away a bit. I think they did the season before as well. It's They're definitely going to be in the Champions League there. I think they need a proper test. I think um, United next week on Monday, that'll be a big one for them. And um, if they can perform against the bigger teams rather than with no disrespect to... Uh, uh, to, to Fulham uh, I think that's when maybe you'll have an opportunity to see how good they are but I think they need to perform against the bigger teams to, to have a push on How strong is that first team though and how good is it looking it's so well established I mean Pochettino knows knows his strongest 11 certainly that's not something you can say about every manager mm-hmm. at this point but Pochettino yeah obviously and, and now their bench actually looks a bit stronger which is good to see mm-hmm. Wolves another one of the new promoted teams spent quite a bit of money and again, on the wrong side of the scoreline at the weekend, they lost 2-0 to 10-man Leicester. Do you think Fulham and Wolves, despite spending a lot of money, are going to struggle, even with the quality of players they've brought in, Tom? I hope so. Um, I, <laughs> I, I, I think Wolves were naive in their first game um, against Everton. I think they, they probably should have... I think they should have won that game. And I, I think maybe they you've got to take advantage of it. 10 men from the first half as well. But I think Everton were great with, and Richarlison looked really good. I think Fulham, they should be okay. They need, they need to get some points under, under their belt as well. I think uh, maybe, maybe they need to play some small teams. I mean, Fulham had a, with, with, the, with the Tottenham game and Palace obviously looking okay so far. But uh, I think they both need to try and get some points under, the, under their belt and, and crack on with the rest of the season, really. Yeah, I think there was a huge amount of optimism about Fulham and Wolves, but I think they've learned quite quickly that this is going to be tough. And maybe, maybe that's good for them to struggle a bit at the start because they'll, they'll need to get a bit more streetwise really quickly, both of them. Uh, they do play some very good football and I very much rate the uh, Wolves manager's beard. Yeah. His name keeps his game for me, but strong Nuno. beard game. Nuno. Uh, but yeah, um, I, I think they'll be okay. I mean... My God, I hope Fulham are going to be okay because otherwise yeah. they're going out of business when they go down <laughs> yeah. to Championship. But no, they'll they'll be fine. I think. Do you think if uh, it's, it's worrying for other teams coming up? I think. Yeah, the, that's true. The three promoted. No, sorry, it's worrying for the teams that struggled last season. Okay. Look at sort of like Newcastle's and things like that to see three teams coming up. Okay, maybe not Cardiff so much, but two teams in Fulham of Wolves who back themselves so much in the transfer market, play decent football and uh, are going to have a right go at the Premier League. Even though they've had a difficult start, I think they'll, uh, yeah, they'll pick up some results. I, I, I actually think your point about the teams coming up next year is, is re- relevant as well, because they're two teams that are backed financially and, and have put a huge outlay of, uh, of money out. And if they're not performing, especially sort of by the, the, the busy Christmas period, you have to think about, well, if you look at Cardiff, Cardiff are the alternative. They didn't, they didn't spend a lot of money. They signed predominantly championship, top championship players. And they've looked really poor their first two games, I think. 
So I think if you're like a team that's targeting promotion for the championship this season, you know that you're going to have to spend in, in the summer. Otherwise, how are you really going to compete next year? Yeah, and I think I, I think Cardiff will be fanned out a bit, actually. I think Warnock, to a certain extent, is a cracking championship manager. And that's shown by the fact he's what had 10 promotions, which is amazing. But I think it does. and But he's never had that successful a time in the Premier League. And I think that's because the level is higher than what he's able to sort of coach out of his sides. I'm not sure he's able to give enough value added to these teams. Um, but yeah, and I think Cardiff would probably struggle this season, I would have said. I mean, they dragged out a nil-nil draw against Newcastle in the early kickoff on Saturday. Neil Etheridge has saved two penalties in two games. Mm-hmm. That's probably not great news for Cardiff fans when you're saying that that's the most successful thing they've done so far this season. Newcastle, again, just look just so not interested. I mean, they looked okay against Tottenham, but only after they'd gone a goal down. Newcastle, it really annoys me, actually, because Rafa's managed to squeeze as much out of that team as I think is possible. And, you know, Mike Ashley's obviously said you'll get every penny this club earns and they made a profit in the transfer window. So that's clearly not happening. And this has been said to death, but they've got to be careful because that's the best manager they've had for a number of years. And once he goes, who's going to, yeah, no one's going to want to take that job really because they've seen what they do to their, you know, best manager in years, not backing him, not giving him the funds they should have. I don't think it's that attractive a job. And Rafa's, you know, this is his last year of his contract. He's going, definitely. Yeah. There's a cracking stat on there from, uh, I, saw, I saw over the weekend, is that Kennedy completed no passes in that game. Jesus. Yeah, 45 minutes, no passes. Yeah, and obviously missed the penalty as well, which I thought was exceptionally poor. Those are the games that, that, that both teams are going to look back at the end of the season and think, if they are short by a couple of points, those are the ones they need to win. I think that's specifically noticeable for for Cardiff because Newcastle again with that would were down to 10 men as well with the sending off um they really need to pick up those type of points and I think Ryan said last week they're going to be okay at home and perhaps they're going to struggle on the road I think last time they were in the Premier League they won five five or six games at home uh, in the whole season they're going to need to win way more than that this this time round to be able to stay up you feel like as well this is not a dig at Neil Warnock but you feel like the signings he's he's made just seem like good championship signings. Yeah. Whereas Wolves and Fulham and other clubs, but especially the two other promoted clubs have made additions that would look at home in any Premier League team. I think Bobby Reed, who signed had a really good season for Bristol city in the championship, but probably isn't a proven Premier League player. Same for, I think, is it Cunningham? The left back played really well for Preston, but you feel like either that's the level that he wants to aim at, or he doesn't feel comfortable signing outside of that. But I think with those sort of signings, Cardiff are probably going to struggle. Or saying that, Newcastle really haven't signed much better. True. Yeah, I think Warnock said it himself, though, that they're, they're being perhaps a bit more financially savvy than the other two promoted teams. They're making a lot of loan signings, um, perhaps not making as much you know, straight-out uh, purchasing transfers. Uh, and I think that's more of the you know status of the club. They don't have the financial backers so much, or you know the setup that's at Wolves, which is quite unique and, and interesting. And you know that's grabbed quite a lot of headlines. Um, but that's also meant they've been able to pick up players 
Wolves potentially wouldn't have otherwise been able to. You know, players like Jutinho uh, and, you know, and Neves possibly wouldn't have been at Wolves in other situations. To sum up, um, Rafa decent, Newcastle shit, <laughs> uh, Ash- Mike Ashley, an appalling human being. <laughs> <laughs> if you take anything away from this week's episode, take away that short summary. Uh, on to the final game of the Premier League weekend. Everton 2-1 against Southampton. Richarlison making his money back, I guess. A really good header. Started the season well, but he did so last season. Do you think he will replicate last season and not score again after November? Or do you think he'll actually give it a good go this time? Well, I think the issue last season, he was quite disheartened when Marco Silva left, wasn't he? And I think it, his drop-off coincided almost immediately with uh, Marco Silva. Um leaving so I think he definitely knows how to get most out of him uh, I whether this blistering form will continue obviously that's n- not possible because he can't just continue scoring every game uh, but uh, yeah it's, uh, it's looking good for Everton fans isn't it I think you, the other thing as well is I think Danny mentioned it last week he, he was coming off a full Brazilian season last year when he signed for Watford yeah. so maybe there was a bit of um, burnout last season and just wasn't up to it for the rest of the year but He's so young. He's he's twenty two, twenty one, twenty two. Yeah. That I mean, if if he if he does, I mean, he's not going to continue like he, like he has, like you said, Alan. But if he gets them fifteen goals a season, I I don't think there's many people out there that wouldn't say 40, 40 million quid for for him might be a bargain in in a few years' time because I think he's he is the type of player that a lot of big clubs would love to have um, when he's matured a bit as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if he gets fifteen goals, you're laughing because that's really what. Everton fans have needed since missing Lukaku. Yeah, 15 goals in the Premier League. To be able to get someone that's able to do that is mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It's gold dust, isn't it? And in an all manner of ways. I mean, we saw against Wolves last week, right place at the right time for the first goal. Second goal, just a really clever finish. This goal against Southampton just got in front of his man and nodded it in. He seems to be able to score in an all manner of ways, which, to be honest, for 40 million is is probably pretty decent in this market. Tom, as a Bournemouth fan, a word on Danny Ings? It was good for Danny Ings to get a goal. I think it's really important for him to score because I think Pickford made a really, really good save earlier in the game where he tipped uh, a shot from, I think it was Cedric. Uh, he, he mishandled that shot and then tipped Danny Ings' rebound onto the bar, which was fantastic. But yeah, it's really good for him to score. What did you think about the uh, the tackle on, on well, the, the hit on Danny Ings? Is that a red card for anyone else on the, on the team? I no, I think it would have been a bit unfair to give a red. Actually, it, it look it looks like from from the like two second video that I'm trying to load right now because I didn't actually watch the uh, watch the incident live. It it looks like he's just got his eyes for the ball and and Ings just gets there ahead of him. Mm. And to be fair, it's dangerous play. I think yeah. if if that happens anywhere else on the field, like a almost karate kick to the abdomen, sort of back area, that sort of height. It's, it's going to be a red card or at least give the referee something to think about. But just purely because it's a goalkeeper trying to go for the ball, I, I don't know. I, I've seen them given. What do you think? I, th- I think it's, de- it's dangerous. I mean, I, I don't know what to th- if, if it's just connection makes it dangerous because he rips his shirt and leaves a huge mark on his back. I mean, if, if that's OK with the letter of the law, then I mean, I don't know. Is headbutting OK if you say it was a header and things like that? I don't know. But um yeah, yeah I, I, I think it was a, it was dangerous, and I, I agree with you. I think if that's if that's a defender, that's a red. But I don't know why goalkeepers get 
particularly special dispensation, but yeah. Because he saved oh, yeah. that penalty against Colombia. <laughs> yeah, all the English referees, I bloody love you, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> Got to hope Andre Mariner's not uh, refereeing against him. But, <laughs> yeah, I, do, I don't know. I think it's more about the intent as well, sometimes. Okay. Uh, he's definitely looking for the ball. Yeah, not a red for me. I love good headbutt, though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jamie Vardy got sent off this weekend for a tasty tackle. Is it just now about... I mean, they constantly talk about it. The rules back in my day... I mean, I'm only 24, but back in the olden days, you used to be able to two-foot someone with a running start and it be a fine tackle. Do you think that the rules now seem to be a little bit more towards giving red cards for any sort of force? I mean, Vardy got the ball first, and and yeah. so, so it, it used to be when I mean, even though you say 20, 24, 25, I'm when when it was the early two thousands. If you got the ball, it sort of didn't matter what happened. Yeah. Um, whereas now it's very much it's how much of the player are you getting, um, and the, and is there is there a risk of injury? Uh, I, I I do wonder whether that's maybe because the modern footballer seems to be a, a little bit softer in terms of. There isn't these brick shit houses anymore. That that their whole job is to kick four colours out of people. Yeah, yeah that's true. It's far more complex. Uh, for example, I didn't particularly think the Jagielka tackle last week was. No, uh, I agree. I agree. That seemed yeah. a bit harsh to me. <laughs> I think the win with the Jagielka one, because I remember. Well, I mean, we talked about it, and we were umming and ahhing. And then later on, on match of the day, they were talking about referees are, are taught that. Jagielka took a really bad touch and then he sort of lunges towards it so he's out of control and I feel like there's so many rules and I think they just need to either just get VAR in just get VAR in and then you do or you don't know and then you leave it up to the referee to make a decision but right now I think there's a weird grey period after the World Cup that a lot of players are still waiting for a referee to be able to have another look at certain things and that in the Premier League in is not going to happen. Well, that was that was a news article that's coming out today, I think. Um, they did a survey of fans, and I think the majority are now well on board with implementing VAR. They had the stats from the World Cup, and it shows that uh, decisions took on average below a minute. So that's yeah. pretty, pretty good. And obviously that can be improved as well. That was the first major tournament it was used in. Uh, and yeah, I think fans are overwhelmingly in favour. So I think we might, might even be seeing it as next season, perhaps. I, I, to go back, I know we've already touched on Bournemouth, uh, Bournemouth West Ham, but the, the penalty decision that was given for uh, for a foul on Hernandez, the correct one, yeah, the, the correct decision um, according to that specific referee. Um, <laughs> obviously, it, 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 the referee didn't give it at the time, and he went to the linesman and consulted, and it, it was about a minute decision before he gave it. And I was thinking at the time, it, it is a penalty, but how much easier would it have just been to go to VAR? get a conclusive view of it and then the risk is sort of out of the linesman and the referee's hands because they can see it, see it again rather than trying to replay it over in their mind because you're never going to be able to recreate it in your head exactly what happened when when you've got all the technology around you why not use it exactly, exactly. and i think it helps with the you know respecting the referees as well and stuff like that's taken out their hands almost um and i think it was nice to see i think in the opening weekend there was a couple of goals that went in and the referee sort of looked to his watch for the goal line technology there's no ambiguity whatsoever. Yeah. The players yeah. just, you know, if it's a goal, 
it's it's definitely there. Uh, but you don't have these players crowding around the referee. Do, do you think that the uh, the the reason the fans are so happy with it in England is because it appeared to work so well for England at the World Cup? I mean, we <laughs> we, we had some good decisions go for us. Do you do you think we'd be as accepting of it if we'd had a few decisions go against us? I mean, obviously the Carl Walker penalty first game of the World Cup that was given by VAR. Do you think there's if we had more of those decisions, do you think we'd be as accepting? I'm a fan of the correct justice <laughs> implemented, regardless of bias. Okay. Um, if it had gone against England, I would be saying the same thing. <laughs> so uh, Owen's Owen's penalty. Uh, this is a long time ago. Pochettino fouled Owen at the 2002 World Cup for Beckham's penalty against Argentina, and but Owen dived for that. And yeah, I I, I personally. <sighs> Even as much of a fan of the, the correct decision as I am, sometimes it, there is a joy, I think, in, 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 yeah. in the excitement of maybe they got it wrong, maybe they got it right. Yeah, I'm, I think that's the argument of you just ruin the atmosphere of a football match. Because I think even though min, you said it was a roughly less than a minute or a minute about for decisions, you did see it even on the TV. The atmosphere sort of dissipated either it went from like a sort of a joyous atmosphere to just silence or anger whilst decisions were being made. And yeah, there is something beautiful about that. Oh, look at that. There's actually something to discuss on match of the day in the evening. Cause otherwise if all decisions are right, it's just Gary Lineker, Alan Shearer and Alan Wright, just talking about nothing. Ian Wright. Who the fuck is Alan Wright? <laughs> it's his dad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I think, I think it's, been used in Serie A. It's been used in the Bundesliga. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't understand why it's not been used in the Premier League. Maybe because the Premier League still thinks it's the best league around, and it's got to set some sort of precedence. But I. I think even if England had been on the wrong side of some VAR decisions, I still think it should not really change how the fans vote. I, d- I think the premise was that they. There's no. There's not much to be gained from being the first person to use it because inevitably that means you're going to be the first league to have a lot of errors, I think. There's never going to be smooth starting. Uh, I think it was... Yeah, they played it pretty safe to Premier League, haven't they, basically? But I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, no. Once it's more established as a technology and as a practice and there are, there are better rules in place, um, then, then they can start implementing it. I think you look at sort of sports where it's very much established now, like rugby, it's got its own sort of VAR um, with the fourth referee... I don't know. Yeah, um, or you know, in cricket, but you know, the, the practices and the sort of the way in which they implement it are very well established, and that was maybe not the case in the World Cup, but there was a bit of ambiguity about how it should be uh, implemented. So it'd be nice, yeah, it'd be nice to have it in the Premier League, but you sort of want it to be well established first, I think. I think I've read somewhere as well that that some of the clubs may have struggled to implement it in time because I, I think before the World Cup. The Premier League announced they weren't going to do it this season. They'd look at doing it in the future. I have a feeling part of it is because some of the smallest squ- um, club structures like Bournemouth, I think it's quite a God big... God damn it. I was about to... <laughs> <laughs> I was just waiting to say, you can't afford four televisions. <laughs> you ruined my job. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think as well, if you're a promoted team... If you look at teams like Brentford, they may struggle to get it implemented as well. So I, th- I think maybe they're waiting for the ability to roll out across um, multiple levels of the Football League as well. 
that's probably going to do it for the podcast this week. But before we go, well, I'm going to start like a game of the week sort of thing where each week I'll pick one game and we can just have a little quick natter about it. This week, I'm going to go for West Brom versus QPR purely because I always like seeing QPR on the end of an absolute drubbing. Uh, they, they lost 7-1 uh, away from home at West Brom. Matt Phillips got two. Kieran Gibbs, who never seems to score, got one. Jay Rodriguez scored two penalties. Dwight Gale scored. Uh, European Championship hero Hal Robson-Khan, who got a goal as well. And Joel Lynch got one for QPR. Absolute massacre. I've only got two things on this. One, obviously, uh, QPR manager, uh, <laughs> Stephen Claren. Two, uh, ha, 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 ha. That's, that's it for me. <laughs> Tom, do you want to add anything? any more insightful than those two? I mean, it's incredible, really. Uh, McLaren came out after the game and said that it was like shameful that his players were, were performing at that level. I think they probably gave up at half-time and thought, let's see how many we can ship in. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't know if you've seen, uh, there's a bit of controversy around West Brom. Have you seen who that, what their mascot is this season? Oh, it's the combi boiler, isn't it? It is, like... the, it is the combi boiler, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is absolutely unbelievable. It's just, it's fantastic. And I, I, I saw on Twitter this afternoon that they, uh, the game uh, near the end of the final whistle, the West Brom uh, fans were chanting, our fucking boiler, he'd get in your team. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I thought it was a fantastic result. I did have a keen eye on that on uh, Saturday afternoon. Oh, that's... Uh... Oh, that's a good way to end this podcast. <laughs> As always, Tom, thanks for thanks for coming on. Cheers. Um, can we can we confirm your signing to this podcast now? Is is the uh, is the ink dry on the contract deal that you're now a fully fledged member of this podcast team? Oh, that's very very emotional of you to say that on the podcast. I thought we were going to talk about it in private. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's being done right now. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, Danny the Mina Mina Riola of uh, <laughs> contact on that pod. Just just you wait. In two weeks' time, when you're not getting the dedication you require on this pod, yeah. I'll just be slating Tim all over. <laughs> Speaking of Tim, he's in Thailand and he sent us a little recap of the Chelsea game. Hello, I'm in Thailand and I thought I'd record something for the podcast, uh, seeing as I haven't been on it. I wasn't on last episode. Coincidentally, it's the uh, most successful episode we've had, but. It sounded amazing with the two guests in the studio. Uh, so well done, you guys. But I thought I'd contribute something to this one um, while I'm away. I really enjoyed this weekend of football. Uh, personally, coming from a Chelsea fan point of view, uh, I mean, match of the season contender, like in the second week of the season, which is mental. 3-2 uh, Chelsea against Arsenal. How freaking amazing was that match? Like, I mean... From, I say, from a Chelsea perspective, there were so many things to look like to be pleased about and to you know be hopeful for for the season, namely Jorginho, Hazard, Kovacic, uh, Alonso going forward, not going defensively because he's shit going defensively. Um, but then Arsenal could have been literally like seven two up with the amount of chances they had. Uh, Aubameyang missed two sitters; one of them was literally an open goal. Mkhitaryan missed one, and Ertzel missed one. Then because everyone and buried one in the bottom corner before Arobi smashed one in as well. Um, but no, Chelsea, you know, we look good. Like, and it's so exciting to say that because the last four seasons under Conte and Mourinho, we've looked shit. I mean, admittedly, one of those we won the title of, but, or two of them we won the title of, but like, we're playing such nice football now and I haven't seen that at Chelsea for such a long time. Um, I'll start with Jorginho, the £50 million signing. 
uh, that Sari brought with him from Napoli. Like, oh my God, like, he is amazing. Just watching him is beautiful. The pass, the pass to Alonso to set up the first goal uh, score by Pedro was such, like, it's a thing of beauty. He, first time, just whacks it, curls it around the, uh, like, 30, 40 yard pass into Alonso, who had acres of space. He then just runs into the box, thought he might go himself, and then squares it to Pedro, who just smashes it home from the penalty area with his left foot. Um, so that, that had me, like, screaming, jumping out of the bed at half past 11 when I was watching it. Um, half past 11 in the evening as well. That's how stupid the time difference is here. But, um, and then uh, the second one, oh, my God, it's so good to see Morata score a goal. Like, oh, my fucking God. Been waiting. He scored two league goals this year, including that one. Um, taking it round, I think, Monreal or Socrates and smashing it past Czech. That was so good to see. Then Arsenal equalised twice, having yes, literally should have scored six. Um, and then finally, Marcus Alonso scored a f- uh, final goal in like the 80th minute or something. Uh, Marcus Alonso is just a big game player. He just always pops up with goals, whether it's a free kick or something. He scored eight last year, um, and he started his scoring tally this year as well. Um, I mean, he's, he's, yeah, he's shocking going defensively, and Chelsea have a lot of issues to sort out. David Luiz, Marcus Alonso on the left-hand side, and not a stable partnership for defensive duty uh, when playing together, because there was so much space. Literally, there were points when Arsenal just passed the ball up from defence uh, through Chelsea's defence, Straight to Aubameyang, who missed. Uh, but they definitely need to be sorted out. But, you know, it's a, immediately you can tell what Sarri's brought in in a much better style of football. We look good playing from the back. We look good playing forward. Um, and it's really, really exciting, considering Hazard's only come on as a substitute twice. Uh, like, in the two games, he's come on as a substitute, and he's already looked amazing. In the first game, uh, he did six dribbles and beat six players. This game already looks stunning. Um, so, like he's beating players by walking, literally walking through them. There was a point where he just walked between two Arsenal defenders into the box. So he looks great. Kovacic, the lone player from Real Madrid, looks awesome. He looked gritty. He looked determined. He just smashed some players out of the way with some great tackles. His passing range is fantastic as well. Um, William, right, criticisms. William didn't look great. Very, you know, like... It looks okay going forward, but was outshone by Pedro, and his defensive work rate is shocking. Um, I'm going to be a little bit critical of Kante, but it's not Kante's fault, because obviously he's amazing, and we know how good he is. He's won uh, the Premier League with Leicester and Chelsea and won the World Cup with France, but he just looks a little bit uncomfortable in this attacking role, because um, he's not quite capable enough going forward at the moment. Um, so I'd much rather see him sit back deep with Jorginho, let Jorginho go forward a little bit, and let Kante do what he does best, and defend and intercept and uh, tackle. Um, and that's probably what would have helped us a lot defensively because Monreal and Bellerin, in the spe- at the end of the first half and the start of the second half, just shot forward and caused us so many issues. So to see Kante sitting back would have been really, really good. We've still got Ross Barkley, who's playing all right, you know, and he had a really great shot, almost scored apart from a fingertip save from Czech. Um, but, you know, no, it's very, very hopeful for Chelsea at the moment. I'm Definitely, like, I'm positive we'll finish top four. Uh, we're currently, I think, second in the table um, behind Man City. So it might be a case again where they just walk the lead and it's up to, to battle for second, third, and fourth between everyone else. 
But at the moment, Chelsea definitely look poised to, to steal, maybe even second, but definitely, definitely top four. Liverpool are looking good. Salah's just potentially going to have as good a season he had last time. Um, and then Tottenham, maybe a little bit underwhelming. Um, they beat Fulham 3-1. It was a very good sign for them. Harry Kane scoring. So I think we just have to wait and see with them. But they, uh, they of course... Uh, oh, no, they are, they are. They're on six points as well. So we'll have to wait and see for Tottenham. But uh, no, I mean, it's definitely... If you're a Man City fan, if you're a Chelsea fan, and probably if you're a Liverpool fan as well, things are really, really looking up. Uh, and we're definitely seeing some really exciting football being played as well. Uh, and except don't look at the Cardiff-Newcastle match because that doesn't count. But um, no, it's really, really exciting. And I'm really interested to see, obviously, Fulham have uh, lost both their opening games. But I do want to see, and so have West Ham, the two teams that we called that have said some of the best transfer seasons, uh, transfer windows. But um, no, we'll have to see how they do. And of course, Wolves um, losing 2-0 to Leicester. So the three teams that we said have done really, really good business uh, maybe maybe not performing, but I really hope to see them develop a little bit more. Um, also going to mention a really great start for Everton as well. They're on four points, sat in sixth at the moment, beat Southampton 2-1. Richarlison scored, scored three in his first two. Maybe 50 million was worth it, I don't know. But um, no, have a good podcast and I shall be back maybe next week. We'll see. Bye. You can listen to his uh, Thailand adventure. Which sounds sounds weird. I'm not going to call it that. Lady boys. <laughs> um, but yeah, as always, Tom, thank you very much for joining us. Alan, thank you for finally coming back. Uh, uh, that's yeah. Thank you very much you, for having me. Are you going to be back next week? Absolutely. Sweet. Uh, as always, you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, we're on Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can get us on your mobile tablet, whatever you want to listen to us on. But for this week, it's goodbye from all of us. Bye. Mm-hmm. Oh.